Good afternoon and welcome to Talent and Growth Live, our roundtable webinar slash podcast uh, style discussion. Um, and I think this is probably my last one for at least, uh, at least a month or so as I uh, look to go on paternity leave quite soon. So glad we could get this one get this one done. A really, really hot topic. Um, and the question we're all asking, you know, what keeps what keeps great people and what, what attracts great people as well. Um, and I've got a really a great panel of speakers today, uh, all of which have been on uh, the Talent and Growth podcast last year. Um, so we'll go do a quick round of intros. And, and Emma, look, this actually came from a, this topic came from a conversation with you and I about a month ago or so. So I'd love to invite you to go first, give us a bit of an introduction into who you are and what you do. That'd be great. Thanks, Paul. Uh, so I'm the uh, Chief People Officer at System One. Um, we are um, a company that uh, tests ads, brands, and ideas, and we um, tell people how predict uh, we tell people how um, effective those are going to be uh, with our predictions, and then we also provide consultancy on top of that. And um, so this was a topic that was um, very important. I mean, I think it's always it's really important to have good talent in your business. It's always really important because um, ultimately the people in your business are going to make it successful. But particularly when you're going through um, uh, a change. Um, so we've um, really changed our company over the last few years from being more of a um, service-based company to having a digital platform. We've got quite a different offering now. We've, we've changed our strategy over those years. And over that time, we've then had to think about who are going to be the right people to have in the business to really bring that take that forward and for us to then really grow and scale the business. So really, really important for us to think about what um, attracts people to our business and also how to retain the great people that we have and bring them along on that journey. So it was a really um, a topic that was very much um, front of mind for me. Um, we have a new CEO as well in the business, so I've been working very closely on him. And um, that's obviously one of my top kind of missions in the company is to make sure that we have those great people. So um, thanks very much for including the topic. And I'm really looking forward to uh, what Jonathan and Steve have to say on it as well. Absolutely. Me too. Thank you for the inspiration. Jonathan, let's go to you. Um, please give us an intro to who you are and what you do. Thanks very much, Paul. Yeah. Hi. Um, so I am uh, an octopus um, uh, ventures portfolio talent partner. Um, essentially, what that means is that I work very, very closely with a whole host of startup founders, companies ranging from pre-seed through to series B. Um, and the companies uh, range in size from sort of 10, five to 10 people to 150. Uh, and my role is supporting them in, in anything that really is people and talent related. Um, so anything from compensation benchmarking through to interview process, redesign, um, uh, through to leadership development uh, and everything else that's good in between. Uh, and my background predominantly is, is recruitment. Before this, I was at uh, DeepMind for a few years uh, and previously that was at uh, Quantum Black as well. So I've sort of seen growth from 35 to 300 and then 600 to 1200. And I found myself coming back to the, to the world of startups, which I, uh, I love a lot uh, and really, really enjoy. Fantastic. Thanks, Jonathan. And last but not least, Steve Norton, please do give us an intro to who you are and what you do. Yeah, thanks, Paul. So I'm head of talent acquisition at Aston Martin. Um, we make rather beautiful cars if anybody's not too sure what we do. Uh, they are they are jaw-droppingly beautiful. Um, and my role since I started last year is to really continue to hire great people into our business, but also to look at, again, how we retain them uh, better. 
Uh, I think we've got some pretty good numbers last year around the number of internal people that took a lot of the roles that we were advertising. Um, just over 20% of our roles were filled internally last year. So we're doing good things with our internal talent. But, you know, I always talk about a kind of hire, develop, retain model. Um, we want to hire great people. We want to develop them. And if we do those two things very, very well, hopefully we should retain most of the ones that we've hired and, and looked after on their career journey and their pathway. So, yeah, just here to do more good stuff around there with my really, really good team. I'm part of the HR leadership team under a new chief people officer who joined along with quite a few of us last year. So we're on an interesting journey, I think, just relaunched our values in the business. Lots of good uh, good ideas and lots of things we're working on this year. So interesting time to be at the business, definitely. Appreciate that. Thanks, Steve. So um, just before we, we're going to go into our I've got kind of a list of questions and ideas to talk about today. Um, I wouldn't mind just asking all of you, though, just just a bit of an overview as to what you're seeing in the market right now, like common challenges. And Steve, if, 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 if I go back to you, if you're thinking about one thing you've seen so far in 2023 to sticking out in terms of challenges and, and trends in the market, what, what, what would that be? Well, I think it's, it's still a hot market. Um, you know, for us, we're in the heart of the automotive sector in the UK in the kind of Warwickshire, Oxfordshire borders. So there's lots of people around us who are also recruiting like us. So it's just the, the demand that's out there uh, and the lack of supply uh, to an extent. Uh, DEI is always a challenge. You know, we're an automotive business, so we're in engineering. Uh, anybody in engineering has realistically you know hard challenges around this and historically you know that's that's always been a sector that's um, struggled to find diverse hires and and it's a big it's a big issue for us you know we've got diversity targets are rolling out over the next few years so we've made a big commitment in the business to really really kind of turn the dial on that one um, but it is it is a challenge out there but you know we're we're doing lots of good things in that area and, and hopefully we'll continue to do that as well Cheers, Steve. And Emma, of course, um, I know you've been doing a, a fair bit of work internally around 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 this topic. But what are you kind of seeing in terms of the trends out there right now? I think one of the hardest things to balance at the moment is um, the kind of cost of living challenges, the um, compensation and the changes around that. And then the, the availability of um, people we're actually seeing bit more recently a bit of a change perhaps in the market um, um, with some of the redundancies that have been very publicly talked about um, starting to perhaps soften the market slightly but getting that getting that balance right I think of um, how do we make sure that we have a profitable business while providing um, good competitive salaries while providing people with the things that want them to well what this is all about what well, it's not all about money what are the other things that are going to attract people to come and work for you and just balancing all of that and all of the complexity of it and all of the changes and um, the changing climate out there with all of the different things that are going on with wars and climate change and all of that means that it's um, you've got to constantly be on your feet and be looking around you talking to people and really there is no like one right answer um it's about finding out what individuals are looking for um and um finding out ways how you can respond to that which again is a challenge yeah absolutely i, I think it's an interesting perspective in terms of what the, 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 the redundancy is impacting the market right now from my point of view from from high i've been doing a lot of tech hiring so far this year and compared to um maybe eight or nine months ago there's a lot more people who are on the market um uh, but mm. what i'm also finding is that these people are, are getting snapped up incredibly quickly i mean you have to turn things around really mm. quick so a lot of people have been perhaps maybe not let go but certainly given a reason to why they need to be looking around and uh but they, they get, there's lots of companies hiring as well so it's an interesting dynamic jonathan what, what about yourself what do you see mate 
Yeah, I think actually linked to what Steve and Emma have, have already said there is, is there's a lot more pressure on organisations to sort of show how they're different from uh, competitors. And I think there's a lot more pressure on organisations to offer things to, over the last decade, what's become a candidate pool that that knows their worth more and is perhaps a little bit fussier with what they want, um, which I don't think is a bad thing necessarily. Um, and therefore, the, the, the pressure on uh, organisations now to put a lot more thoughts um, and conscious planning into how do we go into the market? How do we then develop our current talent and retain them? Um, because people are now more more willing, I think, to jump to different roles and to, to, to different organizations. Um, so yeah, echoing what Steve and Emma said, and, and I guess just um, thinking about time that has to be invested from organizations into securing talent is, is probably more so than I've ever seen before. Yeah, absolutely. And Jonathan, if we, if we stick with you then, so. We, we, what benefits do you think are most attractive to job candidates right now? You talked about kind of standing out and, and benefits play a part in that. Um, what do you think are most attractive to, uh, to candidates right now and how do you incorporate them into your hiring package? I think, yeah, I think it's it's a really good one to mull over. I think um, uh, candidates like nowadays an element of personalization. And by that, I mean the ability to pick and choose what goes into their offer. So when I'm thinking about organizations that now offer, say, equity along with their base salary packages is giving them, uh, giving them being the candidates, the opportunity to trade in some base salary for extra equity or vice versa. Um, and I think um, being able to be, be seen as an organization that can mold around what a candidate's lifestyle is and what their needs may be is what's really, really important. Um, as I say, I think there's more and more candidates these days are looking for um, a, a role that fits around their life. And I think that's changed from previous decades, where it was very much how do I fit my life around my job? Um, so I think anything that makes that easier for people seems to resonate a lot more um, in today's market. Yeah, I agree to that. And Emma, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it depends um, how you're thinking about benefits, uh, though the main benefit that people call out for us is probably our flexible working policy and the level of autonomy we give to colleagues. But you wouldn't necessarily refer to that as a, a benefit. Um, it's more of a soft benefit than a hard benefit, possibly. Um, but it's something actually we weren't really even talking about that much. And the, um, uh, the people who we were working with on recruitment said, look, you need to be talking about this more because it's something people really love. And actually, it's always talked about in our staff service about how people really appreciate it. So we realised we weren't talking about it enough because we weren't thinking about it as a benefit as such. Um, along with that, you know, things like opportunities to grow in a supportive culture, like all of those kinds of things are what is probably the most important to people. Um, and then it's yeah, the flexibility. So we're about to launch a flexible um, benefits platform where people have the opportunity to kind of exchange benefits, use benefits that they want, um, swap them for others, get discounts, those kind of things. Because we just found that when we go out there and ask people what they want, um, it very much depends on their life stage. Um, so the only kind of consistency was um, health related benefits were quite popular, things like doing health scans, um, and having gym memberships, that kind of thing. Um, but even that, not it wasn't something that everyone was interested in. Um, so it, there was really not enough of a pattern to say, right, that's the thing we need to do. So it's actually, the answer was more to increase the level of flexibility. That's interesting. So the platform actually allows you to swap in and swap out. Can you just give an example of what, what you can swap in and swap out, that kind of stuff? 
Um, so there are certain things you're not you can't because of employment laws, such as sure. medical benefits. Um, but basically, otherwise, it's pretty flexible. Um, so you could use it for training or you could use it for gym membership, for example. Like there's lots of there's lots of flexibility um, within the platform. Cool. OK. And Steve, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, we, we don't really have much flexibility on benefits at the moment. I think the what we offer as a standard is pretty compelling. Uh, and we've got some things in there that, you know, we've got to make sure from a talent acquisition point of view, we actually get out into the market, you know. So maternity pay, you know, full pay for 12 months, you know, that, that's a pretty phenomenal benefit to be offering in, in the current climate. Um, and actually would have been any time in my, my career going back a few decades, really. So, so I think we've got some really great things in our benefits package that help us stand out. And also from a DE&I point of view as well, if you're thinking about us as a potential employer. But, but I, I think I think Emma made a good point about it does depend on which stage of life you're in terms of what benefits are really really important to you but i think it's fair to say we've got a fairly comprehensive benefits package we don't really seem to lose out in terms of offers with competitors around the benefits that we offer um, but it's it's really just part of the reason why people might want to come and work for you obviously so i think be competitive you've got to, got to do that if you're a long way behind other people that causes you a problem because you actually end up just buying out those benefits anyway and i've been in some companies where you do that where someone will say oh you know, I'm in financial services, I've got death in service at 10 times salary, and you're only offering four, I'm going to need to top that cover up. And it's actually not very good when you, you end up buying them out in terms of salary and those kind of things. So I think we, we've got the right balance here, I'd like to think, certainly when we're tracking those offers and how we're doing against competitors, I think we're doing really well. But it's only one of the reasons why people come to join a company, isn't it? There's career development, there's job satisfaction, there's all those other things as well. But yeah, I think I think we're doing okay where we work, where we have to in there. Steve, you mentioned uh, the emphasis um, on DE and I, sorry, uh, Aston Martin. Um, if we focus on the I, um, how, how are we establishing and maintaining a, a positive and inclusive culture? Because we know that does help people want to stay. So how, how do we go about that? Yeah, I think I think you've got to show that you know this, it's something that you're serious about. Um, you know, there's there's I've worked at other companies. You know, I was a contractor for a long time, 15 years. So some of those companies, you you walk around and there's lots of lovely posters on the wall. There's things in the lift and in the stairwells and that kind of stuff. You know, but you don't really necessarily see people behaving in a very inclusive way, and you don't you don't necessarily see some of the standards of behaviour at management level also being very reflective of those values you put out there. We, we've just relaunched our values, but it's a really important thing because we're doing a lot, lot with our leadership uh, within the business as well to make sure that, um, you know, they sign up to those things, that they also are ambassadors for those things with, their, with the teams that they manage. So I think if you're going to do all of those, all of those things that you say you say are important to you, you just got to demonstrate it by your behaviours and what you're actually doing in there. And, and, and that's a big part of, you know, how we view our leadership in the business here and how that cascades through all of us as managers as well so just got just got to just got to make a real effort around it i think really and then there's certain policies that you do around there and, and again you know we've got a big push on that this year to just just do more and not be complacent i think jonathan you're in a unique position i think in terms of the, the businesses you're working with who kind of may get to a point and start thinking about culture or may have got to a point and realize they haven't thought about it at all but what for you what what how does that culture piece play into uh, keeping people and what's the how do you set about making an inclusive one yeah i think the word culture gets thrown around a lot and it's a very hard thing to define a lot of people struggle to think of like how do you define your culture because it's such a it feels like quite a catch-all term um 
And I think we try to encourage the companies that we work with to think about, okay, what, what behaviors are exhibited that lead towards people feeling successful, feeling valued, feeling heard. Um, and I think it's to get companies to come back to those, those three things as well when it comes to inclusion is, Inclusion for me is, do you feel like you belong in an organization? Do you feel like you, you have a say? And do you feel like you're, you're heard um, is, is a big one. So I think providing at different levels outlets for employees to be able to actively give feedback, discuss what inclusion actually means, what the culture of the organization is currently, what some of the challenges are. Um, it's really hard from a leadership perspective sometimes to hear employees what you will perceive as, as complain about the organization but i think changing that thinking to it's not complaints it's just feedback on how people are believing things can be improved um and i think there's a real education piece for leaders setting the standards um and if they're comfortable with receiving feedback and giving feedback others will follow um i think there's other small things that you can do um like building channels for communication so specifically DEI groups and and showing that there's a genuine effort and time going in from the organization. A lot of people think it's just we'll put a, a policy in place that ensures inclusion. You obviously need to do a lot more than that. Um, and I think it starts with even small things like thinking about the environment of your office um, or the environment of how you're hosting meetings or whatever it may be, um, being thoughtful of the different styles of people. And it takes time. Um, and I think for us, we always stress conscious thought goes into inclusion in terms of everything that you implement in an organization from a new interview process the whole way through to an L&D budget, right? How is it being inclusive? Um, and just reminding yourself of that question. Yeah, great advice. Emma, what, what about this inclusion piece? What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, Jonathan's advice is very good and also true that it is sometimes difficult to hear people complain. And um, at the end of the day, everyone has a different idea about what is a good culture or an inclusive culture. And it's defined by the people who are in the organisation that you want to be part of that culture. So I'd say it goes in both directions. It does need to be set from the top, in my view, in that you need to have a clarity about what your expectations are. And we've got values and behaviours that we talk about. We very much kind of interactive, have interactive discussions with people about what their thoughts are and um and then we um, have quarterly um, staff surveys in place and lots of other opportunities for good listening and making sure that we um, engage in those discussions and try and respond to those issues with including the people who are raising them in, as part of the solution. Um, and then you also need to make sure that you're employing people who want to work in the culture that you want to have. Um, so you need to recruit and retain based on values and behaviours as well as on pure performance. So it's no good having somebody who's causing everybody else to feel like they're they're not part of a inclusive culture if um even if they're having really good results um so ultimately yeah it comes down to um that really again difficult balance of um knowing what it is that you want um, involving people in that conversation and then keeping those communication lines open it's never it's not easy and it and it changes all the time so you need to constantly adjust and constantly need to be um talking to people across the organization about how it's going for them yeah, absolutely. And, and Emma, if I, if I stay with you, so in terms of, uh, and this could be perhaps tougher these days when we're, a lot of us are working remote so often, but how do we create that comfortable and engaging work environment that en enhances productivity, but also keeps people satisfied in their role? 
Yeah, so I mean, I think the answer to the last question is a lot of um, how you put in place the um, the comfortable work environment in terms of having a, an environment that feels inclusive. Um, and then to, to make it engaging, I think you need to have a really clear mission and vision for the company, something that um, applies to everyone can feel connected to so that everybody's clear on what their own role is within that. And that that's something that then is going to be create that engagement for them because they're motivated to come to work and to know what it is that they're looking to achieve um, and then they need to have um, clear goals around that as well um, and uh, they need to make sure that they feel well supported to achieving those goals so goals that they feel comfortable with they understand um, and then they get well supported um, so they've got the right tools that they need to do their job well um, that's particularly important to have good managers who are going to help them to do that and are going to work with them on achieving their goals. Um, they should be aligned with their own personal goals as well, because then they're going to get maximum engagement if they're coming to work, doing things that they um, are going to enjoy doing, as well as um, are going to get the results for the company. And we talk about um, strengths finders and the, um, the strengths that an individual has and how they can apply those to their work. That's a really good way we find of um, helping to increase engagement. Um, and uh, it's not just the manager, it's also your other colleagues around you that you're working closely with, feeling well supported by them, feeling that they are passionate about their jobs, that you can come to work and you can get things done um, and then go away from work and have your personal time um, and um, keep your energy levels high. Yeah, it's really interesting that engagement piece and I was having a, a I suppose, a, a conversation with my business partner this morning because we've just, we're about to make, or hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll make our second hire. So suddenly we've gone from our us both having our vision and our dream of what we want to build and actually, oh, okay, we've got two other people now. How do we convey what we want to achieve to them? Then how do we break it down into the impact they can have on the business? And thus that takes them on the journey with us, it gets them engaged. And it, it's a challenge, but it's uh, it, it, it's making sure that they feel part of it, isn't it? And it, it's how you get how you get them going with it. Steve, what, what, what do you think around that? Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of it's around the kind of culture of your managers, isn't it? And certainly, um, you know, when we're hiring managers, we also want to know what they're like as people leaders. Um, they may be technically very good at what they do. They may manage what's deemed to be effective functions. But if they're not leading their people well, that's going to cause what I've always sort of talked about as collateral damage, you know, because those people are not going to have that development opportunity. They're not going to have a manager who's pushing pushing them forward, um, to use one of my previous manager's phrase that he always talked about. So, you know, if I take sort of the way I work with my team as an example, you know, I, I don't manage them closely. I, they're clear about what their objectives are. Uh, they, they, they should have the tools to do the job. If they've got a problem, they come back and they talk to me about it. But generally, in terms of them doing their job, I leave them to get on with it. And probably sometimes something goes wrong a little bit, but nothing's, nothing's going to go wrong because they're all really capable, really, really good at what they do, very driven. Um, sometimes the odd mistake might get made, but that's okay. It's nothing, never going to be anything serious. It's easy to fix, um, but it allows them to, you know, give that, have that allows them to have that space to sort of fail and learn through doing that, but in a safe kind of place as well. So I think having that culture where you're not micromanaged, you're given responsibility. Most people want responsibility. They want to do more. They want to feel they can make good decisions and, and have the freedom to do that when they come to work. So that, that's a style. That's a culture thing. That's how you work with your people. It's how you get the best out of them and you, you make the work interesting for them as well, I think. So th those things are really, really important for them everybody around Aston Martin and, and you know we also you know we, we look at our managers and how they do those things and 
if there's opportunities to coach or develop or, or, or improve from an HR point of view as we see it, then you know we'll make those small interventions that we need to just to make sure that people are in a good place really. So so I think I think a lot of it's around that kind of personal style and uh, and working culture and giving people that opportunity to do the maximum they can do really and learn as fast as they can. Appreciate that. Thanks, Steve. And Jonathan, what are some of the things you're seeing that are working with some of the businesses you're working with right now? Um, yeah, I think I, I agree on the goal setting bit for sure that um, the best way to motivate employees that I see is is linking them to the overall impact of the organisation. So is that what's my purpose within an organisation? Feels like a bit of a philosophical question, doesn't it? But But I think that people do seek that. And I think the best organisations are one where ones where you can set clear objectives that clearly cascade. So here is our big North Star goal as an organization. And if you can filter that right the way down to an individual and ultimately, what's my contribution to that? Like, what am I owning? What is my impact? Um, why am I doing that? That sort of thing is clarifying that purpose and having those really, really clear goals and objectives. Um, is probably one of the most important things I see when it comes to motivation. Um, a lot of people will leave when they feel that their role, the word I hear a lot is like, I'm stale in my job or I'm, you know, I don't feel like I'm learning. And a lot of that is just that they don't feel like there's purpose. They don't feel like there's something that they're striving towards or being challenged by. Um, so I think if you can answer that question for your employees, that's half the battle. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think I was speaking to a friend about this recently and they are in a position whereby they are getting paid pretty well. Uh, the work they have to do is minimal. Uh, really minimal and you know you think sometimes people think oh that's that's the dream isn't it it's not it's not at all remote nine out of ten, ten some for some people it's a dream but a lot of times people want that challenge want to feel what they're doing actually matters um so absolutely get absolutely get that um there's a emma there's a question that's come through which i think was aimed based on what you said earlier from lasma and actually was just around the what kind of benefit exchange platform were you using Oh, well, it's called Ben, actually. Um, so you can look it up and it's an international um, platform. So we did a bit of quite a bit of research on which platform to choose. And that's the one we've gone for. Um, so, have, yeah, have a look at that. Yeah, um, we are not sponsored by Ben, but I did actually have uh, Sebastian Fallot, who uh, runs Ben. Uh, he's the founder on the podcast last year. Uh, it's a really good platform, Lasma. So do, do um, check out that episode and do check them out. And if anyone else has got any other questions, then do let us know. Um, Moving on then, um, Emma, let's start with you. So um, how do we balance the need for structuring guidance, guidance with that desire for autonomy and flexibility as well? Yeah, well, I think um, Steve kind of answered that question already really well. Um, in my view, leadership is about establishing the mission and vision, giving people that direction, but then allowing them to figure out the how of how they do it with that good support from the manager. So um, you don't like, you're not, um, well, boss used to describe it as you're not, um, you're, you're delegating, um, but you're not um, abstinating. Um, you're not. You're not saying oh, I don't have any responsibility. You're. You clearly still have that that responsibility, that accountability as as the manager, but you're allowing your team to go away and to um, to do the things that they think are the right things to do, within the flexibility of the scope of their job and the company strategy. And I think um, if you get that balance right, which is really, really hard to do, like pr practically impossible to get it perfect, <laughs> you've got to keep like, keep working at it all the time. Um, but that's what you should be striving to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree with that. And and uh, Steve, if we move on to the, the values piece, so how do you communicate and uphold company values to attract candidates who align with them? So values, of course, I mean, I think, you know, it, I think like such as you were talking about with the DEI piece, these need to be, 
values can't be just be what's printed on the wall. You know, it's got to be an authentic take on what the business lives and breathes. So, so how, how do you do that? Yeah, so you know, there's actually loads on the on the on our LinkedIn page. Our values have got values videos attached to all of them now, um, and those have been communicated quite widely around the business uh, as a, as a first thing. They've also been communicated um, by our head of leadership and culture very clearly to our business leadership team as well, which is, is quite a substantial number of people. Um, and then it's about how they cascade it down from there as well. So it's not something that's just given to people uh, and then left with them in the hope that they actually um, cascade that down there you know there's lots of follow-up work around there as well so um i think when you're trying to define your values that you know there's lots of debate around that isn't it oh i think trust is the most important thing i think openness is more important um you know we've got we've got a good set of values and and um but it is now about how you bring them to life i think and also if you see that they're not being brought to life or you see people who are not exhibiting them, I think it's a it's a difficult situation sometimes, but it, you've got to have that safe place to challenge that as well. Um, so I know, you know, on, on very, very rare occasions, I've had to say to somebody, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that call went the way I want it to or, or, or I like the way that we were talking on that call, you know, and, and if you're going to have them and they're going to be meaningful things, it's not just the communication, it's the follow up around it, it's the coaching element. And then very occasionally when you do see it, it is, it is about pulling it out and saying that doesn't quite work for me, I'm afraid, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to have a conversation about that if I can. And, and a lot of people will find that difficult. And there's I, I could argue there's no right or wrong around it, but I do think if you're in a leadership role, you know, you, you, you do have a, a an ownership part of that around owning it. But also when you're the people you interact with, the people that you manage, the people you you work with closely, then, you know, you, you, you do have to do something about it. You can't just leave it as a passive thing. Otherwise, it goes back to that thing I said earlier that I think we've all talked on. They are just empty words on a kind of wall in the cafe or uh, or, or in the lift as well. So, so we're doing a lot around that to cascade it around the business, check that it's being effective, check that it's meaningful, um, and do lots of follow-up work around there as well. It's not something that's a, a tick box exercise for us at all. It's something we're really, really serious about as we're growing the business quite dramatically. Thanks, Steve. And, and, and Jonathan, this values piece, from a, an attraction point of view, how important do you think they are and how, how is it best to convey them when you're kind of trying to lure people in? I think they're really important. Um, I think they're extremely important to have consistency in the interview process itself. So how do you build in? How do you get candidates or, or try to get from candidates in the interview examples of behaviours that align well to the values of your organisation? I think it's a really hard thing to do to get values right. And I, I think it's a lot of people iterate on it over time. Um, I've seen, you know, numerous organizations just pay a fancy marketing agency lots of money to do it which i don't think is the right way of doing it um but i think um from a from a candidate's perspective and i'm always an advocate for putting yourself in the candidate's shoes when you're thinking about talent attraction um is that if a company has clear values and, and clear behaviors that they're linking it it sort of adds a bit of a personal feel to an organization versus I'm just going on a careers page and applying to a role and sort of there's maybe some generic stuff on that careers page about how they promote L&D and things that everybody can kind of write on there. I think nailing your values and having them as, as behaviors uh, is, a, is a really, really important step. 
I'm actually a big fan of values that are not necessarily just one word because values can be really subjective. You're never going to get them to a point where they're not slightly subjective, I realize. But having them as a phrase or an action or, or something I think is really, really important. Um, and it, it brings it to life a little bit more. Um, and I also think embedding them into the organization, I think as Steve was saying, is, is, is hugely important. Um, and ways of easy ways of doing that are things like, I guess, identifying when people have lived those values and giving recognition to it. That can be in the form of anything. It can be a monetary bonus or it can literally be recognition at a town hall company uh, event or something along those lines. Um, and I think you can even, even things like that, you can highlight on your careers page, like how do we actually live the values? What's an example of that? Um, and that again, helps to ensure that the candidates are actually realizing that they're not just exactly as, as was said before, just words on a page that don't really mean anything. Yeah, absolutely. Emma, Emma how, how important has the values piece been for you and I suppose the research you've been doing? Yeah, really, really important. Uh, I mean, we are a marketing company, so you can as you can imagine there are lots of people wanting to have a hand in creating our company values. Um, but we have a clear set of company values and also team behaviours. And the team behaviours are based on management science of what makes a high performing team. But then we've um, created our own acronym to help people help to, so that people can help to remember them more easily. Um, and then we um, actually crowdsource the the values from our um, our leadership team, working with their teams on what are the things that make us unique and that we want to carry forwards. So we did that a few years ago. And um, yes, the most important thing to me was, right, there's going to be lots of debate over what exactly those are. But once we've defined them and there is a, there's a word, but there's also then a description of what that means. Um, how do we then embed them in the organisation? So how do we make sure that we're living them, that they're part of everything we do? So we do all of the things that you've mentioned. We will interview against them. We'll create we'll have like situational questions during the interview process so that we can check that they're aligning without asking straight out because they're bound to say, yes, we absolutely agree with your values. Um, we will then make sure that everybody who's coming into the organisation has a welcome session with myself with the CEO um, and the founder to talk about how we um, live those values and behaviours, um, as well as explaining the strategy and all of, the, all of the other things we're going to talk about. So it's very much considered as important as, you know, the strategy um, is the values and behaviours that we have in the company. Um, we then kind of refer back to those in surveys. We ask people to try and embed them in their performance management process. So we're, and we do um, uh, monthly town hall awards again, as well against the values. So we get people to across the company to nominate and then we celebrate those people who are working towards value so really like keeping it kind of top of mind that everyone's really clear on what those are and it's definitely not just something that's um on the wall and, and emma last year we did a we had a podcast on creating a healthy high performance culture which i think was uh about uh for me i suppose that view was that high performance sometimes there's negative connotations that people have kind of worked to the ground and we were talking actually how you can have that balance between having keeping people healthy and being productive and high performing as well so with that in mind um how do we prioritize employee well-being uh, while still balancing it with the company's goals and objectives yeah so i did love this question and i thought it was perfectly aligned to the uh the podcast that we did before so as you say i believe that well-being is actually critical to high performance you can't have the one without the other so if you're not looking after yourself you're not going to be able to perform like you might be able to a short period of time but you'll eventually burn yourself out you'll have to leave or stop doing what you're doing so in my in my in my view the two are, are aligned you don't need to prioritize one over the other 
Um, and as you say, we talk about having that healthy performance culture. So we very much promote well-being. We provide support to help employ um, colleagues um, establish the balance that works for them because there isn't necessarily one size fits all. It's very much about what works for you as an individual. Um, and um, and we, we talk about the fact that that's a route to high performance rather than being in conflict. So people shouldn't feel like they're having to um, compromise their well-being for the sake of um, achieving company objectives. They two things should go hand in hand. Absolutely, absolutely. Steve, what are you thinking on the well-being piece? I think I'm probably just going to be a facsimile of Emma, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I, I always say to my team, you know, you know, how are things going? We do a monthly review, and in the monthly review that we do in their one-to-one, um, we go through this thing that I, I developed a long time ago called Five Pillars of Employment. They give me a score for how each of those five elements of their job are going. It gives us a, a discussion topic to talk around, you know, what's working for them, what's not working. We do a comparative score each month. So, and, and, and that's really about how happy they are doing their job on these five different pillars. And then if there's an issue that comes out because of that, then we can discuss it. We can work out how easy it is to fix. It's all really geared around their well-being and their happiness in the job because back to Emma's point, if they're not happy in the job or they've got you know, unmanageable workloads or they're feeling stressed, whatever it is, all of those things are going to derail their performance, every single one of those. Um, so it's about staying on top of it. It's about making that, having that monthly call for me. But obviously, you know, I speak to my team pretty much every day. Uh, it's, not, it's not a massive team, so it's not hard to do. But I don't see any conflict between that at all. You know, you, you, people are not going to do well or they're not going to stay with you if they're not in a happy place. You know, what, what's the point in losing good people um, because you haven't bothered to get to the bottom of how, how happy they are um, and whether their well-being is looked after. If you look after them, uh, also as a manager, it's not hard to work out. If you look after your team when you need extra support, or you need someone to go above and beyond, they'll, they'll come back and look after you as well. So the two are to totally aligned to me. Yeah. That's a nice structured way to do it, Steve. What's what's those five pillars, just so you can feel my breaking them down? Yeah, so we talk about kind of salary and reward. Uh, we talk about job satisfaction, talk about career development, talk about lifestyle, and we talk about job security. Uh, so we're always, always keeping those five pillars in mind on a monthly basis. So if something affects any of those, you know, if the score goes down or it goes up or it stays consistent and, and it's consistent in, in a high, with a high number around it, we score it from one to five for each one. Um, then basically that's just those, those touch points. And we've got an annual kind of ability to look back over the year and how it went and how things improved or, or got worse for them at different points based on those different categories. But it then drives bigger conversations around that as well, obviously. Yeah, love it. Thanks, Steve. Jonathan, what about what about the wellbeing piece for you? Yeah, I, I agree with everything that's been said. I'm not sure I can add anything else too much on top of what Emma and Steve have already uh, explained there. I think, um, yeah, it's really interesting, this tension between well-being and, um, and high performance um, and, and hitting objectives. And I completely agree. I think they, they are intertwined. They're not separate things. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think there should be the, the biggest thing I see is, is creating an area of psychological safety. So people are able to actually voice when they're overworked or when they need some timeouts or and they're not going to get, you know, told by their manager, well, you can't do that right now. It's crunch time. And um, for me, it's about forward thinking and planning. And I agree with Steve's point around, yeah, you, you, you need to sort of like have your teams back. And if you give them that time to recharge now, they'll pay it forward in, in some way in the future. Um, so I think for me, yeah, it's all about psychological safety and, and trust really. 
Yeah, agreed. And, and and we we talked earlier on, I suppose, about the the importance of having everyone collectively working towards something and the impact they can have individually. Um, Jonathan, if I stay with you on this, so how do we also what tangible things can we do to create a sense of community? So of course we're all working towards the same goal, but we know that we well I think we know that um, actually being a part of that community can help retain people. So what what proactive things can we do to create that? Um, yeah, I think for me, like building a community in your organization is all about shared experiences. So to me, it's kind of common sense. You will want to go into work if you're going into work with a population of people that you know you can have interesting discussions with or you feel like you're close with or you feel like you have a common goal. Um, so how do you create that feeling? Well, I think you basically build spaces and time um, for people to build those connections. And it could be anything as simple as some of the companies I work with, they do Tuesday morning breakfast for everyone where they buy it and everybody comes in for a free breakfast. Who doesn't like free food, right? And then they do Thursday afternoon um, drinks. Um, it's inclusive because if you don't drink, you don't have to go to the Thursday one. You can come to a Tuesday breakfast and so on and so forth. So I think you have to keep that in mind. Um, I think I've seen um, I've seen like culture clubs work really well. And by that, I mean, it's, it's people that are given a small amount of budget to start a group that are specifically passionate about gaming or specifically passionate about other topics where people can come together um, of an afternoon on like a Friday at 4 p.m. Uh, and be able to, to, to share those, those experiences and thoughts. So for me, it's about building those outlets and conscious thought into how do we make sure people are actually enjoying spending time with one another sounds really really fluffy but i think it's hugely important yeah and I, think, and I think it's a key point you know you've got to be very conscious that you're doing something which everyone will well, hopefully everyone will be at least able to do and of course you know i think the days of just organ constantly organizing things around drinking are probably gone because of course that's not going to it's not going to float everyone's boat anymore absolutely not um emma in terms of this this community piece um i suppose what what, what a system one doing or you've seen that's done really well yeah, I mean, um, being part of a team is something that's really important to people and um, it gets called out and there's a lot of research on it as well of how important that is to people. Um, I mean, ultimately, it is driven by the team itself. I would say probably starting with the manager encouraging it and then you do need some engagement from the team because as, as we've talked a lot about, people are individuals and they'll want different things. And so um, you can help support that um, by giving them opportunities to... Um, you know, perhaps by talking about a budget or letting them know that they've got the opportunity to come up with ideas themselves but where people can um kind of self-arrange that i think that's where you get the best um results because people are doing things that they actually want to do you're not kind of like trying to create false fun and things like that um but we do um we do promote it through our company values and behaviors um and um and we provide opportunities to develop the relationships that will then kind of stimulate those kind of things so we make sure that we have opportunities where people come together and we're largely remote working um but we we try and create some of those opportunities some of the things that you know jonathan was talking about but also having um, all company events where everyone comes together and then you can form relationships with people that you wouldn't necessarily be working with on a day-to-day -day basis because then you can kind of also feel like you're part of a wider community and everybody wants to kind of interact and engage with others um, in different ways so again kind of trying to um, allow people to work in the way that they want to um within the teams themselves we we find a sense of community is it varies around the organization depending sometimes on the strengths of the management or sometimes on the team members themselves and how much they want to be part of that community slash wanted to be doing more individual working um 
And it's not, I mean, it's really important, but it's not enough on its own. Um, you know, sometimes people do leave strong teams um, quite often in the pursuit of career development. They still, if they can't get the career development they, that they need within that team or within that company, then having that strong team won't necessarily be enough to keep them. Um, and, you know, occasionally it can also be the right thing for somebody to move on because they might find that they have that career opportunity elsewhere. So it isn't always necessarily a negative thing. And I think that's important as well is um, not making it always a negative thing. If somebody does choose to move on, like, People are allowed to leave teams, people are allowed to move on, and it isn't always for bad reasons. So kind of having that, we, we've got a, an alumni um, group where people who have left can come back and um, spend some time with people who are still in the company. And sometimes we have people that leave and then come back again once they've fulfilled that bit of um, career extension that perhaps they couldn't get within our company. So I think that's really important as well. It's like, it's a wider community of people that have worked together at some period in time. Um, and, um, having that kind of that positive sense of community i think is nice yeah i love that alumni piece uh i interviewed uh the head of talent from innocent drinks last year and they do something really similar they, they make it a really big part of their i suppose their, their whole process is that they have an alumni club and uh they um with that focus on making sure people always have a good exit experience uh when they do decide to move on you're creating that, that network and you're creating those advocates of your business who are actually going somewhere else. So actually they could be more powerful in getting people back to your business. So it's absolutely a really, really positive thing to do. So that sounds great. Um, and, and Steve, um, anything Aston Martin are doing around that community side? I think I think we're sort of communicating a lot more about our business objectives and where we're trying to get to. You know, A, a we're a FTSE 250 <laughs> business and a lot, of, a lot of the stuff that we want to do is out there publicly, but you can always do more internally with your people. And I think we just going to make or have been making and will continue to make more of an effort around there for us you know we make a physical product so you can talk about you know where we are with products and where we are with targets and that, all those kind of things as well so i think communicating more and then i think also we're looking at doing more this year with recognition as well um you know we've got we've got the ability to do some some pretty special things based on what we do as a company um that people will always remember you know those, those experiences rather rather than um you know just just giving them just giving them an amazon voucher or something which is perfectly fine as well i've been at other places where those work but we really can give people some special experiences here and, and um we're very committed to kind of looking at that and as we did do at the tail end of last year and doing a lot more with that this year a lot of which we've already kicked off actually so i think the communication bit to create that shared sense of you know focus and what you're trying to achieve as a team um you know we launched a, a kind of phrase that sort of, sort of no one builds an aston martin on their own and, and that's true you know we've all got an important part to play whatever it is um and then we did a really nice thing um because of the kind of nature of the firm and that you know relatively speaking we're a small car company compared to a lot of others we built a wall um, just outside the production line and, and it, it basically has the names of every single person who's ever worked at the company. So it says hand, hand built since 1913 and literally every single person's name is on there because everybody's made an individual contribution and, and it's something we, we do really value and, and I think it's getting, getting better as we move forward as well. No, I love that. Yeah, that's great. That's really great. Uh, and Steve, I'll, I'll stay with you for a sec because um, I know a, a big focus of what you do and I suppose your approach is that is developing your existing employees. And of course, that, that's a win-win situation for all involved. So do you want to talk just a little bit about the strategies you're using or have used even you know before Aston Martin in terms of helping employees grow and develop within the company? 
Yeah, so we've got a big push on internal development. Uh, we've got a, a strategy we call internal first. So when we're looking to, to make a hire, um, we always want to look internally first for a short period to see whether we've got somebody that wants that opportunity. Last year, over 20% of our roles were filled by people already working in the business, whether that's a move into a different department or whether that's a promotion. Um, so again, did some good work and this year got more more to do with that as well so definitely for us internal career internal mobility that develop um, you know higher develop retain model that i talked about earlier is really really important and there, there are lots of initiatives that we've kicked off this year that are going to support that as well um i won't go through all of them because they're still in the planning stage at the moment but there's there are quite a few new things going to be coming out that every employee of the company will see as well and that is absolutely determined to to make sure that those people can see you might you know you might have enjoyed your job for a while you might might not be sure whether it's something you want to do in the medium to long term you know but that, that's okay for us what we want to do is find something that that's a much better option for us to find something different for you than for you to leave because you don't think there's a something an opportunity for you to do something different internally so done, done some good work with it last year a lot more to do with it this year and you know losing good people is just never a great never a great situation is it you always you always want to see what else we can do for them they know the company they know the people they know the culture there's a lot lots of things there and and takes a little bit of time to retrain them in, in a new skill that's okay because we get all the positive benefits and then working for us for a really really long time and and that more than makes it makes it worthwhile for us to invest in their development and retraining them that's a that's a great stat 20 percent of your vacancies getting filled internally um that, that's something the business should definitely be proud of emma in terms of the internal mobility piece um i suppose what strategies the system one putting around that yeah so um we do quarterly performance management um, against objectives but we make sure that as part of that we talk about personal development and career plans so where do people want to go what do people want to do kind of trying to like um, seek out those opportunities for um, internal mobility and then we do the same as um, Steve said you know we make all um, um, vac vacancies available internally um, I mean, alongside interviewing externally, but quite often the preference anyway would be to take somebody internal because they understand the business. So if we feel like there's opportunity to train them up to move into that position, then we'll always look at that as a preference. Um, we want something that's going to work for everyone. It has to work for um, the business as well as the individual. Um, but it's really, really important that we can try and provide those opportunities because it is often reasons why people move on if you want to retain great people in the business then providing them with opportunities to um perhaps try new things um i think also um there's been a lot of literature about how kind of career paths are changing um people are working for longer they're not necessarily kind of following this kind of like structured career path where they kind of just go from one thing to the next up the ladder they might want to try different things they might want to kind of open up portfolio opportunities as they get older and kind of um, try new things and do different things and um, use their time differently, um, work around their life rather than um, having a life around their work. So um, I think it's increasing, increasingly important. Um, the only exit interviews that ever frustrate me are ones where somebody says that they wish that they could have done something that would have actually been possible for us to make happen for them. So I really encourage managers to always be talking about those things with um, the people that they're managing and uh, making sure that they're kind of teasing out um, those kind of career objectives and getting people to think longer term. 
Yeah, you know, great, great piece of advice. You know, don't assume your people know what's available to them. Um, it, it, you can't make that assumption. You need to make sure you're having those conversations. Jonathan, anything on the performance management and uh, I suppose internal mobility piece that you're seeing working well? Yeah, I think so. Um, there's a lot of, I think, internal mobility and, and getting your people to stay versus leave by retraining is is ideally like paramount. That's what you want. There's a lot of organizations that don't have the resources to do that. So I think if you're smaller, um, I've seen 20% projects work quite well. So it's a day a week um, where you would spend time on a different project with a different project team, maybe applying what the skill sets that you do have and learning something new whilst you're doing it. I think that's a great way for startups to use current resource without having to hire anybody new, um, but also giving people the opportunity to work on something slightly different. I've seen that work, um, yeah, very, very well. Um, other organizations I've worked with, they allow for research and development time. So you can have an afternoon a week where it's specifically around your own personal development. You could take on a, a online course or you could do something that helps that you think will really add to your current role um, and many organizations will pay for that as well if you can kind of say to them that this will add to my current learning or my current role in xyz ways i think is a really good way to to, to get people to commit some certain time and it's also urging the managers of those people to make sure they have that time carved out so i think the pitfalls can be We've got, you, you want to do the same amount of work and what we're doing is just adding on some uh, some kind of development stuff for you. I think it's important to carve that time out and allow people to not feel like development just means more work. It should mean specific time set aside. Um, and I think that, that, yeah, that's really, really important. Yeah, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Um, I'm conscious of time, so we've got a few more questions to ask. I suppose, the net, the, Jonathan, I'll stay with you soon, isn't it? The, we haven't talked money, uh, we've talked benefits a bit, we haven't talked compensation, but of course, actually, a lot of the data I've seen in the last three to four months, um, the differing thing has been money has often been at the top of the list of what people want. If you that to a year to 18 months ago, it was usually second or third, uh, but because of the cost of living and everything else that's going on in the world, money is important, it, you know, really important right now. Um, so how do we ensure that our comp compensation is competitive and fair and what metrics we're using to, to measure their effectiveness in attracting or retraining, uh, retaining top talent. Yeah, I think um, that the first thing I would say is to start using the data that's at hand in your interview pipeline. So the most obvious one is percentage of candidates lost to competing offers and why, and make sure you're recording that. I'd always urge companies to at least collect some data from candidates on why they've taken another offer uh, and start start accumulating those because that's really one of the key things that's going to help you make decisions based on are we competitive in the market or not. There's obviously market data that you can pull from databases like Radford and PAVE and Figures and others. I would use that. I would try to encourage most organizations to um, pin towards the 75th percentile of the market when it comes to compensation. You're totally right. I'm seeing the same thing as people are indexing more for what cash can I get today versus anything else. I do think there is still a, a population of candidates that want an invested interest in the organization though. So offering things like equity or ownership is, is really, really helpful to get them to feel like you've got a stake in the business. But if you cannot do that, I do think trying to, um, to, to accommodate for people basically indexing their life sometimes over work is actually what's happening more and more. Um, and another thing I've seen done to good effect is, is a cost of living allowance or bonus, a one-off 
that has gone down very well and graded based on pay levels. So saying you have a population of people who are earning um, 50,000 pounds a year and below, you would give them 2,000 pounds towards and then kind of allocate it based on bandings. Um, and I think trying to be proactive with those things is really important. Um, being reactive shows that, oh, okay, as employees, we have to make a fuss before you do anything. Actually, if you can be proactive, leadership is showing that, well, actually, we know things are tight right now and tough. How are we thinking proactively about our uh, our employees and their well-being? I think that if you get ahead of the curve in doing that, um, you'll you'll ensure better retention. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for sharing, em, Emma. Um, on the compensation piece, um, obviously, really important right now. What are you, what are you seeing around that? Yeah, so we um, we conduct annual benchmarking, but we found that it's sometimes been important to do it more frequently, and sometimes in particular pockets as well. So like development um, has been changing quite a lot over the last um, couple of years, I'm sure you're aware, and uh, we've been probably benchmarking that more frequently. Um, we do collect data. Uh, we collect data on um, reasons why people are joining or not choosing to take our offers, and also um, on when people are leaving if they're if they're related to um, compensation or hard benefits. I mean, they rarely are. We find um, uh, the soft benefits like culture and support tend to be more influential, and opportunities to learn and develop tend to be the things that will either cause people to kind of join or or to leave. Um, but it's I mean, it's more of a hygiene really I think in that you have to keep um keep be competitive and definitely like Jonathan says get ahead of get ahead of the curve and um introduce things before it gets to the point where people are saying like why aren't you doing anything everyone else is doing something we need we need help here. I mean it's difficult because you get also again you've got the factor of life stage of individuals some people um, have made lifestyle choices that can then mean that their financial situation is more difficult. And how much do you help um, somebody to compensate for that without, you know, making without then um, making sure that you're being fair to everybody in the organisation? Um, I think, you know, we have um, looked at people who tend to be um, in the lower paid um, levels of the company and looked at how we can perhaps help them support them more because then it really can sometimes be I mean in our business not really hopefully financial hardship um, but certainly more, more difficult situations but then again everyone's an individual and they have different like challenges at different times in their life so really again another difficult balance to get right um, but something that's just really important and um, doing that that data collection within your own organization and also um, outside of your organization looking talking to people in your network find out what they're doing working for them that can be really helpful Fantastic. Thanks, Emma. And Steve, finally with you, just in terms of that compensation piece, how are Aston Martin tracking it? Not, not much different, really. So, yes, we've got global benchmarking, access to all that kind of data. Um, that's also not enough to have an annual report. It's, the market moves too quickly. It really does. It's far too fluid. Um, so we'll use things like tracking offers, uh, tracking any trend data around there, uh, whether we're uncompetitive in certain areas. We've got hot skills uh, within automotive at the moment, like electrification around powertrain as all companies move away from internal combustion engines moving forward. So you've got that time when you know, everybody wants them. There are people around. Sometimes there are just some areas which are really, really hot. And so it's us, us tracking it internally within the TA team. 
it's recruitment agencies who we partner with, be able to share as much data as they can uh, with competitors. Some of that's a bit sensitive, some of it's a bit difficult, but you can usually find it fairly. There are ways. To, there are ways to get access to that data. We know that they know about companies they're not working with, for instance. So, so I think it's just around that really, and then making sure you know working with your reward team that that you're in a good place with that. I mean, attrition's fairly low with us in the last year. Uh, we have that much of an issue around around it being salary. We also look at the exit interview data. It's not very often that people leave for that particular reason. It's uh, other reasons. And it's been very low for us. So we're never complacent around it. Um, but I think we're, we're reasonable. Perfect. Fantastic. Well, thanks. Thanks, Steve. And thanks to the speakers. I think look, when it comes down to what do people want um, these days, they want everything. They want the money. They want the flexibility. They want the development. And more so than ever, companies have got to be keeping a tab on this and really doing their best to keep and attract the best people. We've got lots of advice in this past hour. So I hope everyone's enjoyed it and learned as much as I have. So thank you to you three speakers. Um, thank you for sharing you know, what's going on in your businesses and what, what your own expertise around everything as well. Um, this will be um, our last webinar for a little while. So our next webinars will be in April uh, when I'm back from paternity. So thank you for listening, uh, even live on the webinar today or on the podcast if you're catching up. But again, thank you to your speakers and I hope everyone has a great week. Thank you, really enjoyed it. Thanks. Cheers, Thank everyone. You. Thank you. Bye.